for joining us. My name is Kristen. We're glad you're here. We wanted to let you know about a few things happening this week at Southwoods. Below in the seat in front of you is our Connect card. Feel free to scan the QR code. It'll take you right to our website. You can also fill out the back um, and set it in the information bar in the back of the sanctuary. Mark your calendars for Wednesday, February 22nd at 7 p.m. We're going to continue our fully devoted series as we talk about fellowship. There will be activities for kids ages birth through fifth grade that evening as well. We're calling all our groovy dads, grandpas, and uncles. Grab your groovy gal and head to the student center on Friday, February 17th for our daddy, daughter, disco. We're looking forward to seeing all you cool cats there. Once again, thank you so much for joining us here this morning. Join me as I pray for our morning. God, we're so thankful for a day that is just not promised us. We come to you asking that you would open up our hearts, our mind, and our ears for what you have for us here this morning. We're so thankful that we can come to a place with fellow believers where you are here, um, where we get to hear your word and worship you. God, we just ask that you just continue to bless our people, bless this church. We'll th we're thankful for what you're doing here this morning. We love you so much. Amen. Well, we're going to sing about
vibes. Sometimes I just have to talk before. I feel like such a good segue from Father's House, uh, or Father-Daughter Dance to we're in our Father's House. I hope that uh, you're just comforted and encouraged by that song of him moving um, and the freedom you find in the Father's House. I hope you leave it all, not just at the door, but at the foot of the cross, because um, that's, that's the freedom we find in our Father's House. Would you stand? And would you continue to worship with us this morning in our Father's House and the goodness that we find in him? Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand, and everything around me shaking. I've never been more glad. I put my faith in Jesus. He's never
just want to make sure I point out the different ways. You know, three ways you can be continuing to give here at Southwoods. In person, we have little things, uh, areas to drop it off in the back online or by mail. Um, but I love, I hate cutting you guys short. I love getting to see you guys talk, be in a body, be uh, God's, God's church. Let's continue to worship as we build our life on him.
sing this next song, um, I Speak Jesus. I'm going to sing it over you. Then we're going to head into a time of communion. Um, and I just pray that, again, the, as we build our lives on Jesus, that this, this would just speak over you, his name and his power would rest on you. Your eyes would be opened up to his wonder this morning. Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the street. 
Lord, I can't think of a more more powerful, more fitting thing to speak. Just speaking your name, God. Jesus is worship. It can be worship to you in our hearts as we believe in your power, in your healing, in your freedom, in your goodness, God. We're so overwhelmed by your love for us. We just wanna take this time as we head into communion, God. We wanna thank you. I pray that you would just fill our hearts and our lives with gratitude. That you, the creator of this whole world, one, the sovereign God would consider us. You would send your son for us. That he would bear the scorn of the cross and all of its shame for us, God. And that just by speaking your name, believing in our hearts that you are God and we are not. That you have died for us, that you bring healing and you bring life as we take the bread and the juice, Lord, help us to just reflect on the life that Jesus brings through his death, his body and the blood that he shed through those, through those symbols, Lord. We thank you, we love you, praise in your son's name, amen. Let me take communion.
morning, Southwoods. It's good to see you this morning. Have you ever noticed how some of the things that we do with our time and our lives don't really matter? You ever notice that? One of the things that often come to my mind when I think of this, I was talking to the guys down in Mexico about it here a couple of weeks ago, uh, dusting. Dusting. How many of you love to dust? <laughs> what happens when you dust? And you know how it is. You, you clean off a bookcase, an end table, a countertop. You, you wipe it spotless, and you leave for a few hours or sometimes a few minutes. What, what happens? Dust returns, right? This is, this is what dust. Dusting is a waste of your time. Now, to a degree, to a degree. But, but you get the idea of what, I, what I'm thinking. It's sort of, a, sort of one of those things that maybe matters, but at the same time, it's, it really doesn't because there's just no end to it. What about forwarded email? How important is forwarded email for most of us? Nine out of ten forwarded emails ought to just go right where? To the trash. I mean, to the to trash. Because it's just, you know, somebody who thought that maybe this was a more, nine out of ten emails that I forward really ought to be, you know, just pitched, I'm sure, by somebody because much of it just doesn't matter. A number of us returned from uh, Mexico uh, here, uh, Hero Makers trip here a couple of weeks ago. And uh, I don't, how many of you have ever been to Mexico? Just raise your hand. So several of you, several on the trips, but others uh, of you who have not been, uh, but you've been to Mexico. If you've been to uh, Mexico, you know what I'm talking about. You know, it's a waste of time in much of Mexico. Washing your car. Dust, dirt, mud, everywhere. It's just everywhere, right? Some things we do with our time, some things we allocate energies toward have a semblance of importance, but the truth of the matter is you're just going to have to do it over and over again, and it really doesn't matter. But then there are other things in our lives, things that we do that really, really matter, things that are very important. Jesus wrestled with this issue in his life, and because of his divine wisdom and nature, he managed to always devote his time and energies to things that really mattered. We can learn a lot about devoting ourselves to things that really matter just by scrutinizing the life, the, what the scriptures tell us about his life and his example. We're in a message series that uh, we've entitled The Pursuits of Jesus. And if you've missed any of the previous ones, we're, we're talking about this, things that really mattered to Jesus. And hope that you'll pick up some of the messages that you've missed. But if, if you've been with me and today, what we're going to talk about is this. We're going to listen to Jesus tell us about his family business. His family business, which was and still is one of his primary important pursuits. Not the only one, but it's integrally tied to his pursuit of the Father and a whole lot of things that are true about his life. And so this morning, as we look at Scripture together, uh, I hope that you'll listen real carefully. Turn in your Bibles with me, if you would, to Mark. Uh, Mark. Uh, it isn't Mark, but let's look at uh, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read a passage of Scripture together that was foundational to the life, to the teachings, to the actions of everything Jesus did. Hope you'll follow along, listen real close as we look at these verses together. Luke chapter 4, we're going to start at verse 16, a really pivotal passage of Scripture we all need to be familiar with if uh, it's new to you. I hope you'll uh, remember it. Luke 4, starting at verse 16, this is what the Scripture says. When he came, when Jesus came... 
to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home. He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read scriptures. Now, let's just pause right there for a moment. I just, when you think in terms of pursuits and habits and things that were just integrated seamlessly into Jesus' life, this text just right here just tells us one. He went, notice, as usual to synagogue. For us, it'd be to church. He was, this was an integral part of his life. Is it an integral part of your life? I know all of you who are here, to some degree it is, but it's trying to say, you know, this, is it usual? Is it normative? Is it a habit, something that's a priority? Verse 17 continues to say that the scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him, to Jesus. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. Now listen carefully to this passage. This is, this is a, a pivotal passage. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus read, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released and that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. The text tells us he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently, and he began to speak to them. Listen carefully. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day, Jesus said. The scripture you just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Now, this was an amazing moment in Jesus' life and ministry. In these verses, Jesus lays out for his followers then and his followers now, for everyone who was listening, who he is, what he came to do. He made it really clear in these verses. And before we start trying to apply all of this to us, which we will do in a few moments, but we need to make first need to take a moment to get clarity about who Jesus is and what he came to do, because it's so clear in this passage. Jesus was announcing in these verses that he was personally the fulfillment of a 600-year-old prophecy that had been recorded by the prophet Isaiah. Jesus, when he read these words, wasn't just reading like I did the text. Jesus was proclaiming, declaring that he was the one that Isaiah was originally writing about. Jesus was trying to convey that he was the one upon whom the Spirit of the Lord rested. He was the one anointed to preach the gospel to the poor and captives. He was the one who would give sight to the blind, who would release the oppressed. He was the one who was sent to proclaim the time, the season of the Lord's favor, and that it had come. Jesus was saying, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. I'm the anointed one. Jesus clearly understood his mission, clearly understood his identity. I think part of the reason this is here is because he wants us to clearly understand who he is, what he came to do. And with that firmly in mind, I want us to consider together how all of this applies to us. And there are at least two ways, probably more, but at least two that, two that we're going to highlight this morning. And the first way 
is this. If you and I are truly followers of Jesus, if we're truly Christians, if we're his disciples, then guess what? Jesus' mission is our mission. Jesus' business is our business. What you find in Scripture is that this was, his idea was not just for him to come do this, but it was, this was, the idea was, this is the family of God business. It's the family business. What began with Jesus in Luke 4 and mattered so much to him is to continue with you, me, all of his followers. We're to become like our Lord in this respect. We're to be helping those born captive to poverty and oppression find freedom and release through the work of the Holy Spirit and our collective efforts. We're to be helping those whose hearts and minds have been blinded by violence and hopelessness and deceit. We're to help them find healing and vision and the good news of salvation. We're to be assuring people opportunities to discover meaning and significance, hope in the present and in the future, forgiveness and salvation that can only be found in Jesus. We're to be helping people discover that the time, the day of the Lord's favor has come for them, for them. What he did, we're to partner with him in doing in our time. And here's the thing, whatever you and I do with our time, energy, resources, and life that advances Jesus' family business, like that, you're going to find that it matters greatly to God. It's going to matter greatly to people, even if they don't understand it. And it pays eternal dividends. So is Jesus' business somehow at least a part of your business, part of your life, your schedule? your resources, your thought processes, your prayers. Is it a part of you as a follower of Jesus or someone who's thinking about being a follower of Jesus? Are, are you willing to integrate it into your life? And if this is only marginally your focus, how can you and I make Jesus' family business more of the business of our lives? Because, friends... This was Jesus' full pursuit. And as his followers, guess what? Servants have the same agenda as the master. Same agenda. It's important that we devote ourselves to the family business, and that's the first way that today's passage can be applied to all of our lives. Hope you'll reflect on that, not just today, not just this morning, but this week, that you'll just wrestle with how, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, how do I integrate what's important to you more fully into my life? In your work, your family, your entertainment, your physical exercise side of things. Where else might God be able to integrate the amazing ministry of Jesus in your life and through your life to the lives of others. But there's a second way that all of this that Jesus is talking about in Luke 4 
applies to all of us. It's my guess that probably most of us didn't really notice it when we read today's passage, except maybe a few of you guys who were in Mexico with me when uh, we were down, uh, down there a couple of weeks ago, because I did a shrunken version of this to them. So they're getting to hear me talk about this a little bit uh, again this morning. But Jesus quietly and gently reveals to his followers in Luke 4.19 that his family business has a big transition coming soon. It has a big transition coming soon. So the point of that is that we really, really need to maximize our engagement in the business to the extent we can because change is about to occur. He wants us to understand that. And you say, no, where does that say that in the text? I mean, where, where is that? In this case, it's not what Jesus said. It's what Jesus didn't say. That's so important. When Jesus read the scroll of Isaiah in the Nazareth synagogue in Luke 4, you may not have known it, but he stopped reading Isaiah's scroll mid-sentence. I mean, he literally, he's like reading along and he just stopped in the middle of the sentence. He didn't finish it. It was mid-thought. I want you to listen carefully as we read the passage from Isaiah, the, the original passage that Jesus was quoting and speaking of for himself. Only this time, we're going to finish the sentence. We're going to read the whole sentence, okay? Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on, upon me, Jesus was saying, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And here's where he kept reading, or where he stopped reading, and we need to keep reading. And with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. Let's read that last verse one more time. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. A few verses later, the text adds, God speaking, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully reward my people for their suffering and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be recognized and honored among the nations. Everyone will realize that they are a people the Lord has blessed. Now, we can read more in this passage. I hope you'll read the rest of it later. But here's the point. The text is trying to convey to us that the time and age of God's favor and grace began nearly 2,000 years ago. It began with Jesus' first arrival on the planet. And the point is that that age of grace, that season of grace and mercy, is going to continue for all of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. That's going to continue for them. However, according to Isaiah 61, a day is coming when it's going to transition also to the day of his anger and judgment. Notice what the text says, towards the enemies of God, the enemies of his people. Who are God's enemies? If we had time to exegete the whole passage, what you'd find is that 
They're those who love injustice, robbery, wrongdoing, sin, those who refuse to repent, those who've hardened their heart to such an extent that when God appeals to them, pleads with them, sends his own son as a sacrifice on a cross to die on their behalf, their heart is so hard that they refuse to believe, refuse to turn, refuse to repent. This is going to be a painful transition for a loving God. In my heart of hearts, I know he does not look forward to this day. It's God's desire for no one to suffer his anger. Go back and read First and Second Peter. He makes that really abundantly clear. that It's not his will for anyone to suffer. That's why he sent Jesus. But because God also hates injustice and robbery and deceit and wrongdoing... God's anger is going to be poured out on those who refuse to repent and turn toward him. Which means this as it relates to all of us who are part of his family and a part of the family business. Anything you and I can do now to make disciples of men and women, boys and girls, anything we can do to baptize them, to teach them to obey scripture is really, really important. It's more important than we often give credit for, than we can fully process and absorb in our minds and hearts. Prayer for spiritually confused and lost people to come to know Jesus, crazy important, crazy important. Being a witness, important to God. Following the leadings of the Holy Spirit, incredibly important to God. For you and me to be doing that. Seeking first Christ's kingdom and righteousness. I can make a long list of these things. All of these things. Never been more important for us or to God than they are right now. So my encouragement to you is don't grow weary in your pursuit of Jesus' mission in the world. A lot going on in the world, and it's easy to become distracted. Every single one of us. Easy to become tired. We live in a culture where people are capitulating to peer pressure to believe things, do things that in their right minds they would not have done. They would not believe. Christian people sometimes succumbing to this kind of stuff. The appeal of Scripture is don't grow weary in your pursuit of righteousness or Christ's kingdom in this world. And it's so important for us because what began with Jesus in Luke 4 is God's vision would continue with you and me until Jesus comes again and the script changes. We'll still be trying to show grace and mercy. God will still have grace and mercy available for a season, but it's the day of his vengeance is coming. It's coming. And it matters more than we can fully understand or imagine. So let's never grow weary of it mattering to us. 
Your life is filled with lots and lots of pursuits. Some of them are really trivial. I've got plenty of them in my life, and I assess those things periodically and just try to say, well, how did that get this much time and attention? You know, how did, how did, how did that happen? And, and it does. We do that with regards to money. We think, how, how, how was it that I got so engrossed in spending money on this or that? And we conclude those are trivial things, and we need the money for this. And so we reprioritize our finances. Maybe the appeal of God through his word today for some of us is to say, how do I reprioritize? How do I reclaim some of this time and some of this time so I can apply it here? something that really matters in the long run. Like Jesus, let's pursue the priorities that matter with all our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. We'll be glad we did. People will be blessed. We'll be blessed in the process. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to Close in prayer this morning. I hope that you'll take this home with you and reflect on it. Luke chapter 4 is where the first parts, verses 16 to 21. Isaiah 61 is the other portion. I hope that you'll reflect on these some today. Because just as they were in many ways marching orders for Jesus, they're marching orders for God's people. Um, it's just fun to encourage our guys down in Mexico because all the guys you know, spent their own money, allocated a bunch of time and energy to go down there and serve these kids and doing the very kind of stuff that we're talking about. I know some of you, you, know, you serve in so many different ways in ministries here in our region as well as in some instances some of you internationally in things. And I know some of you doing this with students in school settings and in nursing settings and lots of different settings. And Yay you for doing what you're doing. Let's not grow weary in well-doing, all right? Let's bow our heads and pray, and we'll be dismissed. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you love us, that you died for us. We just look heavenward and acknowledge our desperate need for more of you in our lives. Thank you that you came, and that by your shed blood, you're setting free all who will turn to you in faith. You're setting us free from sin and its consequences through your sacrifice. We, we praise you. We honor you for that. We humble ourselves before you and acknowledge that you're worthy of our entire lives. That's really all we have to offer you. So we offer you ourselves. Cleanse us. Forgive us. Strengthen us. Empower us for your kingdom's sake. And Lord, we thank you that your mercy toward those who have come to you is everlasting. We praise you for that. We desperately need that. But Lord, we plead with you to be at work in our world in the hearts and lives of people who are part of our sphere of relationships. Would you tug at people's hearts to turn toward you and you help us to be alert enough to partner with you in encouraging them in your way. Lord Jesus, help us to that end. 
We pray for mercy for our world. We pray for mercy for those who don't know you in our world. We know you've provided a way of escape. Just pray, God, that you'll grant soft hearts to people throughout the earth. Send a spirit of repentance across our nation, across our world, before this day comes, Lord. We plead with you for that, not because our world deserves it, but we didn't deserve it 2,000 years ago when you came. Noah didn't deserve to be rescued. Abraham didn't deserve to be rescued. None of us do. We thank you that you are compassionate, and we pray for rescue for our world and those who are part of our lives. We thank you that you care. Help us to be on point and investing our lives and energies and resources and things that matter. And we'll rejoice to be the recipients of your mercy and grace and helping others be recipients of your healing, your salvation, your favor. Because it's still the day of favor. Help us to make the most of it. Now go with us, Lord, as we leave this place. May your spirit rest upon us. May your anointing go with us. May you empower us through your spirit to do things like you did in your day. We'll give you the credit for the results. Go with us now. This is our prayer, and we lift it together in Jesus' name, and everybody agreed with me and said, Amen. 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 Bless you all.